0: Mark's Gospel in chapter number 6. It'll be a familiar passage and story this morning, but we are going to kind of take in a little bit wider scope of what's going on as we uh, get into the text this morning. In Mark chapter number 6, we're going to begin reading in verse number 30. Uh, And so as we read the text, we'll read down through verse number 44. Um, We'll see the text of Jesus feeding the 5,000. You'll recognize that right off and then... Uh, we'll pray and back up just a little bit uh, and kind of set the stage for where they are, what they're doing, how they're going about ministry here, uh, and what they're facing. Uh, and so Mark chapter 6 and beginning in verse number 30, the Bible says, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place. And rest awhile. And for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into a country round about, and into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? And he saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, five and two fishes. And he had commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up into heaven and blessed and break the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two, and the two fishes were d- divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. Now I want to speak this morning on this thought simply the compassion of the Savior. Let's pray. Father, as we begin this morning, we thank you again for the opportunity that we have to come together. Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would open our hearts to your word, that you would speak to us. May we be receptive for what you have for us today. Lord, may it go with us. May we dwell on it throughout the week. May it help us to connect with you, to understand your love for us. And Lord, your desire to see your power demonstrated in in you living vicariously through us as we uh, do your work. Lord, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as they come here, it's obvious from the outset of where we started reading that they're tired. Now, why are they so tired? And ministry uh, is is the type of work that can be physically, mentally, and emotionally draining at times, as well as spiritually. So, um, I think life in general is that way. I think that we go through seasons of time that are planned heavy. The schedule's planned heavy, and it's done intentionally with purpose. Then there are other things that come up on a schedule that are, that are unexpected. And invariably, it seems that a lot of times the unexpected happens in times when ministry is really busy. Anyway, uh, it doesn't generally happen. The unexpected doesn't, the inconvenient doesn't usually present itself whenever, uh, whenever you've got time to deal with it. Uh, it generally comes up when you don't have time to deal with it. And that's the case here. We're not going to read back, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to just kind of back up a little bit, but we're not going to read uh, a lot of the text. I, but I want, to, I want to point it out to you so that you can go back and look and study on your own. But they've been busy in ministry. They haven't been, uh, they've not been going through a time of, of where they've been idle or where there's been a lot of just him teaching them. They've been out amongst the people. They've been busy. Uh, and so in chapter five, uh, he has to deal with you know in chapter four he he stills the storm, uh, and then in chapter five he has to deal with the maniac of Gadara, then the he he goes and he comes into. Uh, into town and uh, he is on his way to meet Jairus' daughter, or to, to Jairus and then to heal to raise his daughter from the dead uh, and along the way the woman with the issue of blood approaches him and draws power for him and he, he helps her, he doesn't push her aside, uh, he, t- he tends to her need, then he goes to Jairus' daughter and he's mocked uh, and as he's, he's mocked he just, he's, he just shows them that he is God and then he raises her to life. Now these things that we've seen thus far, those are just kind of like the normal routine of life for them. That's Jesus' normal ministry. To to have the religious leaders attack him, uh, to have uh, people that are uh, you know having their professions kind of uh, kind of. Uh, encroached upon by him uh, and for them to respond in a negative way like in this case by mocking him and uh, I love the way that he answers them because they say do you think we don't know death and he says you know death but I know life uh, and so uh, and then he goes in and he raises her from, from the dead uh, and so this is as, as hard as it is to wrap our minds around that being routine that's routine that's just who Jesus is that's what he does and so they're just going along But in chapter six, things change. Chapter six gets darker. It gets, it gets, ministry gets heavy. And what I mean by that is this at the beginning of chapter number six, Jesus goes back to Nazareth. So in the first few verses of chapter six, you see Jesus back to his hometown. And generally, we think of going back to our hometown as a good thing. But in Jesus' case, he goes back to his hometown and he's rejected. And he's preaching the same message, he's healing. He's loving, he is instructing, but he's rejected. And because of the rejection of the people. Now understand, this is not just a rejection of the religious leaders. He has had to face that everywhere that he's gone. The the rejection of the religious hierarchy has not hindered his power and his ability to do miraculous things amongst them in any way. Because the common people have come. And they've reached out to him, and they've embraced him, and they've received him, and they've loved him. And so he's dealt with uh, the Pharisees and the hypocrites, and he's spoken to them roughly. And for those in this present age that kind of have the mindset that, uh, that y- you know, you've got to kind of sugarcoat everything to the point that, uh, that nobody really understands the point that you're making, may I remind us this morning that there were times when Jesus called them a whitewashed tomb. There were times when he spoke harshly and roughly. Now I'm not advocating a, a rough and caustic uh, spirit or attitude, but I'm saying sometimes a stand for righteousness has to be made and the only way that it's going to be understood is if it's just spoken plainly. Uh, and so, and, and that, the word of God is offensive. Truth is offensive. The truth to someone that rejects it is offensive. And Jesus dealt with that on a daily basis. He, that, that wasn't it's not that it was an enjoyable part of his life and ministry, but it was part of the daily routine of just doing ministry. He had that coming and going. But in chapter 6, when he comes to his hometown, to a people that he does not just know them uh, as a people, but he knows their names. He grew up with them. He knows their families. He knows their professions. Now, I realized as God, he knew that everywhere that he went. But from a human standpoint... These people are a little more special to him. They're a little closer to him. And so he teaches them, he goes through all of it, and they reject him. It's interesting that the Bible says here that he he could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief. You realize this morning that the only thing that can hinder the power of God is our unbelief? Our lack of faith? And because of their lack of faith and their lack of willingness to accept him, he could not do what he set out to do. I would imagine, if I kind of interject myself for a moment into that circumstance, that that would be a little demoralizing. It would be hard. Emotionally, it would be stressful and draining. So we see Jesus, I believe, at a time here where he's he's beginning to deal with a little bit of emotional uh, stress. I'm not going to say distress because he's God. And he knows how to handle it all. But clearly when we hurt, Jesus hurt. And so when we weep, he we- he weeps with us. He- he's not, he's not distant. He's feeling what we feel. And so he's here and he's having to deal with that. Then he takes the 12 and he sends them out on their own. So he's dealing with, okay, we've just been rejected in Nazareth and I've not been able to do what I want. Guys, I want you to go out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to empower you to heal and to, uh, to do some of the things that I've been doing. And in essence, what he's showing them is that even though my power was thwarted here because of their unbelief, whenever you go out, my power can be lived and brought to bear through you whenever there is some faith to receive it. So they go out and they're, this is new to them. And I don't know about you, but anytime you do something new, it's kind of stressful. Until you get adjusted to it, until you understand how it's going to go and how it's going to be, you know, you're going to respond and how you need to kind of tweak things and your presentation in different ways. It takes a little time to get adjusted. So they're out there. And they're, they're doing well. Uh, but they also have some trouble. There's one that they, that they can't cast out. And so they're dealing with all of these things, and then while they're out, they get word that John the Baptist has been beheaded. Now understand, John the Baptist is Jesus' cousin. He is the one that prepared the way for him. He's he's not just, uh, you know, somebody that uh, was wrongly executed that Jesus knew of. He's someone that Jesus knew personally and intimately and loved. They, They cared for one another. So now he has grief piled on this. And the disciples come back and they're affected by that. If they could execute John the Baptist, maybe we're next. So they're dealing with all of these things in their routine of ministry, but ministry has picked up and got heavier and Jesus comes to them and as they come and he, they begin to tell him and share with him about how great things God did and how the Spirit worked and how people came to, to, to trust him and, uh, and many were healed and, uh, and they're, they're sharing all of this, now, he realizes that, hey, uh, you, you fellows are, are, are tired. The, the burden's been heavy. And a heavy burden's not always a bad thing when it comes to this kind of work, but it does mean that there are times that you have to step back and replenish. You can't run at that pace for sustained periods of time. You have to have something in you to give. Amen. And if you're constantly pouring out and you're never refilling, and my my truck chimed in this morning on the way into the church, it, it has an alarm that goes off at 50 miles to empty and 25 miles to empty and, uh, and then it, a little more often after that. And I try not to get down to that point very often, but... But I, I I did I did this morning, and so uh, it hit that 25, and it, it and I know <coughs> if I don't stop pretty soon and get some gas, I'm going to be sitting on the side of the road. Why? Because it's not going to refill itself. <coughs> it, it's got it, it has to be intentional. Listen, the filling of our spirit, the filling of our of our empowerment with God, it takes time and it takes an intentionality. I I I'm, God is not going to uh, fill me up by osmosis. I have to spend some time in His Word. I have to spend some time in prayer. I have to spend some time in worship. I have to spend time. But there's also the reality that when really busy times come, that those things, it's not that they're non-existent, but they're gonna suffer. You don't have uh, as much engagement mentally and emotionally through those times and those seasons. Uh, You don't get as much time to read. You don't get as much time to pray. You can't live that way for a long time. You have to back up. And so they've been out ministering and Jesus says, okay, guys, we're tired. I'm tired. We've we've been hit with some sad news. The people have been draining us. Let's get to a desert place and let's rest a while. And he comes to them and he says that in verse verse 31. uh, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. And so, and then he said there were many coming. They didn't even have time to stop and eat. I don't know if you've ever had days like that. I have days like that from time to time where I just get so busy. Sometimes I'll get busy doing what I'm doing. Sometimes it may be outside and it may be physical in nature. Sometimes it may be in my office and it's a study in nature. Uh, but I'll, I'll just get engrossed in what I'm doing. And then before I know it, lunch is long past. And it's really kind of almost too late to eat and not ruin supper, uh, even though I want to. Uh, and then, I, and then I, I look and I'm just thinking, what happened to the day? Because there's just a lot going on. That's, their, that's where they are. There's a lot of coming, a lot of going, a lot of needs that are being met. And as they're meeting the needs, Jesus expresses to them, hey, uh, listen. I know I was rejected. I know you've been out there on your own. I know you got the news about John and it saddens us all and it causes you concern uh, and you're back and, and you're excited about what you were able to see God do but you're also a little bit distracted about the things that you couldn't see uh, done and why you couldn't get that over that hump and uh, he said, let's just come apart a while and rest. But they have another problem. See, the busy schedule has come to an end and it's time to rest, but there's an unseen need that's coming around the corner. And so they load up and they set out across the Sea of Galilee and they get ready to go into this desert plate to rest, but the people, knowing the direction that they're headed and having a desire to hear from them and to hear from Jesus and to see him and to learn from him, they they find out and they kind of figure out where he's headed and they outrun him. They run on foot aground around the lake faster than he can go across it by boat. Uh, And whenever he gets there, they're waiting on him. Hey, listen, we came here to rest. Isn't it interesting that Jesus didn't just say, hey, sorry, fellas. Uh, Sorry, crowd, Uh, but, but we're tired. You know, come back in a couple of days and I'll meet your needs. That wasn't his response. He cared about the needs of his disciples, but he also cared about the multitude. And he cared about this immediate need that presented itself. So he tells them, we're going to go and rest, but this, this need surfaces and, and, and shows them and the crowds meet them and they're seeking them. And Jesus is moved with compassion. I, you know, there, there are times, I'm ashamed to say, that my attitude in that circumstance can be one of frustration rather than compassion. But Jesus isn't frustrated with them. He's compassionate toward them. And he shows that compassion. By the way, compassion just simply means to yearn from the depths of your soul. Lee Robertson put it this way, it's your hurt in my heart. We would tend to call that today more empathy. We're feeling what the other person feels. We care about what they feel. Uh, And he says, and it means to be moved. In other words, compassion demands action. I can't say that I have compassion towards someone and not do something about the problem, not do something to meet the need not, now, it, it doesn 't mean that I necessarily have the capacity to meet a whole need, but I want to do something I want to get involved, I want to be a part of the uh, of the solution I, I want to jump in there and and that 's what Jesus does here, because what he sees before him is not a problem, and what he sees is not uh, is not a frustration, what he sees is a people that are like sheep that are scattered without a shepherd. They they're they need, and they they know that they need, but they don't know what they need. And they uh, they're they're longing for truth, but they don't understand truth. And they sense in him that truth can come from him. That the things that they really are kind of lost and just wandering around that they're missing. That Jesus embodies the solution or the answer to their problems and to their questions. So before him, they're as sheep without being a shepherd. And so he comes out and he tells us that in verse 34. When he came out of the ship. When he came out and saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So there's three thoughts about this this morning that I want to share. As Jesus, now we kind of get his mindset. He's coming in here. He's mentally, he's emotionally, and he's physically exhausted. His disciples are. He has to balance the needs of the people with the needs of his men. I can give them some things to do to help me, but I can't give them too much to do to help me. Because they're, they're at a point where they need some rest. So he, but he's not going to neglect the people. He's grieving at the loss of John the Baptist. I would say that he's likely grieving at the rejection in Nazareth. Rejection's hard to bear. It weighs heavy for a long time. So he's got all of these things going to his mind, but he sees their heart. And so what does he begin to do? Well, he begins to share with them. And in verse 34, we, uh, we see that, as, as he, and we've read that. Uh, where, so he begins to teach them many things. And then uh, verse 35, And when the day was now far spent, His disciples came into him and said, This is a desert place. So there's a couple of thoughts about this. First, they've been there all day. They've been listening to hours of preaching. If I hit 1230 this afternoon, they'll they'll be complaining. They've been all day long. Uh, And so, uh, you know, they're they're there, they're not even trying to leave, and they're not complaining. They're they're just there, but Jesus knows that they're hungry. And they've been too long and they're not going to have the strength to go back as far as some of them have come. And they've got a need. But notice his disciples' attitude in this. Lord, send them away. This is the desert place. This is, the, this is where we came to rest. We didn't come here for this. You know, so they come and they're just like, hey, we, we're still tired. You know, I'm glad that we could meet the needs of these people at some level and you were able to teach them. But it's time for them to go because we really need our rest now. And, and so he stares there, "This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about into the villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat." And he answered and said, "Give them to eat. Imagine that. Here they are. they don't have anything. Give them to eat. Lord, there are 5,000 men here, plus women and children. There easily could have been 10 or 15,000 people there. He said, "Give them." <clears throat> Give them what? Are we, you want us to go and buy that much food and bring it out here, the 12 of us, for that many people? Don't you realize that you brought us out here to rest? And Jesus says, go see what you've got. Go and look. Go check it out. Tell me what you have. We've got a couple of fish and five loaves of bread. That'll do. And so Jesus blesses it and he breaks it. So what's he saying here? Number one this morning, I would say this. Jesus knew something that they didn't know. You know, sometimes we think that we get things figured out and we think that we know the answers and we think that we uh, can see the solution, but Jesus knew something that they didn't know. What were those things? Now, we could speculate a lot here, and so I'm just going to cut to uh, really the, the meat of, I believe, of what he's getting to. And he knows that physically they're hungry. He knows that physically they're tired. But essentially, what is their real need? (coughs) Their real need is that, first of all, he knows their lost condition. He knows their lost condition. He knows that they know of him, but they don't know him. So what what is he demonstrating here? So they're out here on the side of the hill. They're sitting here. They're hungry. They have nothing. They're hopeless. They're helpless. They're they're helpless to take care of their need. I want you to see the beauty of what Jesus is demonstrating to them by allowing them to get hungry and providing their need in a a special and a miraculous way is that he's saying to them, listen, I want you to understand as you sit out here on this hill that you are helpless. You can't solve your problem. And I want you to realize as you sit out here to his disciples that you're hopeless. You can't do this on your own. You see the crowd You got five loaves of bread and two fish. What are you going to do with that? He made him go look for it. And they stand there dumbfounded. And he says, if you just had a little bit of faith, fellas, you'd see what I can do. Let me, so let me, so since you don't, let me give you some. I mean, God's just like that. So faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When I lack faith, I love the passage where he's talking and he says, Lord, if you just believe, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. I I want to believe. I, I want to get there. I'm struggling to get there, Lord, but I want to get there. Would you help me? Of course he'll help you. And so he comes here and he says, listen, I want you to understand as you sit out here and you're hungry and you have nothing and you have nothing to give them that you are hopeless." This is not sufficient to meet the need, and they are helpless to meet it, and you are helpless to meet it. The only person here that can meet the need is me. And he demonstrates to them that in their hunger, they are helpless and they're hopeless, and there's no solution but Jesus. And when I realize that my sinful soul is hungry for truth, then what God has to show me is that I am hopeless and that I'm helpless without Christ. And so he makes that demonstration. The second thing that we, I believe we see here is this, that he knew that they had no means by which they could solve their problem. He knew it. You want us to go buy it, Lord? <coughs> no, you couldn't carry it anyway. Their, their solution was to just send everybody out without their need being met. Listen, the solution is never to send somebody that's hungry for the gospel away without having given them the gospel. The solution is to serve it up. Now, whether they take it or not is up to the, between them and the Lord, but our responsibility and our compassion should serve it up. Well, but I'm, I'm in a rush. I'm in a hurry. I've got this going on. Listen, never be too busy to give a hungry person the gospel. Because they may not stay hungry long. They may get filled up on something else. If somebody's hungry, if somebody's ripe for the picking, if somebody is is thirsting and longing for truth, take a moment and give it to them. I understand schedules are busy and you may not be able to spend as much time at this moment as that you could in another moment, but give them something that's got the gospel. Share, answer a question. Love them to Christ. And Jesus is making his point. He's listening, saying, listen, the crowd's here and I know something that they don't know and you 12 are here and even though you've been out doing miracles in my name, I know something you don't know. There is an answer to this problem and I'm the answer. Now bring me what you have. Isn't it wonderful that he didn't make them go out and just try to catch a bunch of fish? I mean, half of them were fishermen. They didn't say get in the boat and go Castanet even that could have been miraculous provision no he just said just bring me what you've got and the point is this whenever God begins to speak to your heart and work in your life whatever you have is enough for God to do what he needs to do in your life we tend to look and we think well that's beyond my capability that's beyond what I can do that's beyond what I can share that's beyond uh, what I can fix if God told you to do it it's not because he makes up the difference Faithful is he who calleth you, who also will do it, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.24. God does it. They didn't do it. They served what he gave them. They had nothing to give on their own. I have nothing to give you this morning on my own. You have nothing to give your neighbor. You have nothing to give your friend on your own. But I can give them what Jesus gave me. I can give you what Jesus gave me. I can share what the Lord is doing in my life and the lives of others that I am in fellowship with and what God's doing in your lives. And as we share that with one another, it's the beauty of the body of Christ in the local church where whenever we go through times of difficulty, discouragement, grief, uh, happiness, and, uh, and success, that we can share all of that with one another and be a blessing and an encouragement and the, the power of God at work in the life. Jesus makes the demonstration. He says, all right, I'm going to pray. Bring me your little bit of nothing and let me pray and start breaking it apart. And you just start serving it. Can you imagine being one of those men? All right, so now I've got all these crowds out here. They're 50, 100, 150. All of them scattered out over this hillside. And here they are with their uh, little bit of provision from the Lord and they go down the aisle and they start uh, serving it out. And they're thinking, well, hey, that's more than That's more than two fish worth right there. He's out. And they go back and to their amazement, he's still serving it out. And they just keep going back and wondering, when is this going to run out? And it never did. Until everybody was served. Why? Because Jesus knew something that they didn't know. He knew that faith with the power of God was enough. He knew that their need could see his power on display and be met. He knew that he could reach out to them and love them and they could accept it and they could feel that power, that presence. Secondly, we see that Jesus saw something that they couldn't see. He knew something that they didn't know. And then he saw something that they couldn't see. Notice again in verse 37, he answered and said unto them, give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? And he saith unto them. How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. So he saw something they couldn't see. What could he see? Two things here. First of all, he saw an unlikely solution. See, sometimes we start looking for solutions, we start looking for something that's obvious, something that that we can take credit for, something that we can figure out. Listen, faith generally doesn't figure on paper. If I can figure it out, it doesn't take any faith for me to go through with it. But faith sets out when I don't know the solution or I don't know the answer he saw an unlikely solution. The solution being found in five loaves and two fish is a pretty unlikely solution. It's not unreasonable that the disciples would look at that and question him. I mean, who wouldn't? What reasonable person wouldn't look at that crowd and what he had to give them and say, that's not enough. But they didn't know about his faith. They failed to understand his power. They had become... And I think that if we had the time this morning, we don't, but if we had the time to fast forward a little bit, another chapter to what we would see is that he's going to, at one point when they're on the boat, fearing for their lives, rebuke them and say, you think that I'm rebuking you because you forgot to bring food? Do you not remember the 5,000? Do you not remember what I did there? Uh, and so they're, they're having a hard time putting together everything that, that he's doing in their lives. You ever feel like that? We don't don't always understand and grasp everything that God's doing at the moment that He's doing it. Sometimes it takes a while for us to wake up and to understand. So He sees something that they can't see. He sees an unlikely solution. Listen, God's way of fixing a problem, solving a problem, meeting a need, addressing a hurt, may not line up with my expectation. But just because God's not doing it the way that I think He ought to do it, doesn't mean that God's not working. And I shouldn't get frustrated And think that God's not working because he didn't do it my way. God does things his way. He has the answer. And the answer often defies logic. But it requires faith to experience. So he saw an unlikely solution. Secondly, I would say this. He saw the potential of God's power in a little faith. What Jesus sees here, knowing that his power coupled with faith can do a great work. Now, remember, he just left Nazareth and he couldn't do a great work because they had no faith. Before that, he raised the dead because the little girl's dad had faith. He healed a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years because she had faith to press through the crowd and grab his garment. They were able to cast out demons and heal because they had faith with the power of God. What Jesus is saying here is, listen, you, you have, are so blinded by the enormity of the problem that you've forgotten what I just did. Listen, fellas, raising a girl from the dead was a bigger thing than feeding 10,000 people here. We look at it and, and, and they're looking, hey, well, that was just one girl. Bigger problem. But he was big enough to solve the problem when there was faith involved. Isn't it amazing that an all-powerful, almighty God, can be can, his, his power can be hindered, restricted, and limited by our lack of faith. But the exercise of our faith, even just a little bit of faith, he says even the faith is a grain of mustard seed, just a little bit of faith with the power of God Can do the unbelievable. Can do miraculous and mighty things. Jesus saw the potential of God's power and a little faith. The meal provided hope. Remember they're here. It's the end of the day. They're hungry. And as far as getting a meal and getting some strength and nourishment. From what they can see that's a hopeless case. And they are helpless to do anything about it. What does the meal do? It gives them some hope. Oh, we can make it home after all. We have some strength. We have some nourishment. What else did it do? They came there with a hunger for truth. Jesus had satisfied their hunger for truth with his teaching. And then he reminded them that he can satisfy their hunger for everything when he fed them. He says, you came to me hungry. You came to me helpless. You came to me hopeless." And I preached to you and I've given you hope. And I fed you and satisfied your hunger. And I provided for you and took away your helplessness. I am all that you need. Jesus saw something that they couldn't see. He knew something that they didn't know. And lastly, this morning, we see that Jesus gave them something that they did not have. Well, obviously, Pastor, he gave them their meal. Notice verse 42. And they did all eat and were filled. My wife and I were out yesterday. We were constantly at this point in our schedule with our daughter's graduation from college and impending wedding here in just a couple of weeks. We're constantly trying to rush around and tie up loose ends. So yesterday morning, we drove down to Texas City and attended the funeral service for a little baby and on our way back, we made some stops just to run some errands and try to get some things bought that we needed to buy and and uh, which is really I mean shopping for any man is a difficult task, but on Saturday it's especially so. But I'm okay with it when it's, it's the time is where we're at, we've got to stop, we've got to do what we've got to do but uh, you know we're, we're just out there and it, it was getting to be about three o'clock and we still hadn't eaten. And so we're having a conversation about what we're going to do, where we're going to go, what we're going to eat, and then uh, we're, are we going to just wait till we get home? Or are we going to? So we decided to get just a little snack. So you know, a, a little snack. She got a little. She got a snack. She got a salad. I got a whole meal. <laughs> uh, and so I was hungry. Uh, and then I ate a snack later. <clears throat> and so, uh, but we we sat there and we we had that snack. And she she. Was satisfied for the moment, but she wasn't full. I ate a little more, so I wasn't, I was a little bit more full, but I still could have kept going. Doesn't mean I should have, but I could have. It was temporary satisfaction, it wasn't long term. Jesus didn't just give them a little to tide them over, He filled them. They were filled. My friends, this morning, God doesn't want to come into your life and just give you a little bit of truth, a little bit of hope, a little bit of faith, a little bit of power, a little bit of encouragement. He wants to come and fill you. He wants us to be full, filled with Him. And so Jesus comes and gives them something that they do not have. Remember where they are here. They're mentally exhausted, they're emotionally exhausted, they're spiritually exhausted. Yet he supplies their every need. The people are here. Three thoughts about this and we'll close this morning. Number one, he gave them something they didn't have and the fact that he had a realization of their condition. He, he realized, you ever feel like nobody understands where I'm at? Nobody understands what I'm going through? Nobody understands my hurt? Nobody understands my pain? My friends, this morning we have a Savior that's been touched with a feeling of our infirmity. Yes. And in all points has been tempted like as we are. And is yet without sin. He knows what we're going through. He doesn't have to wonder. He doesn't have to imagine. And I get frustrated because I can't explain it adequately to anybody. Or in some cases as a pastor, I don't have anybody to explain it to. Um, I can take consolation in the fact that Jesus knows and he cares. Jesus comes giving them something they do not have, compassion in realizing their condition. Whatever their condition was there, all of the multitude, whatever their need, whatever their hurt, whatever their sorrow, he knew. Secondly, he gave them a demonstration of the power of God. He met their emotional, spiritual need with the preaching and the teaching. And he met their physical need with the supply of food. But he didn't just give them food for the body. He gave them food for the soul. He gave them the satisfaction of the bread of life. He gave them himself. My friends, Jesus is enough. They were filled. As we conclude this morning, I'll just say this and we'll we'll be done. There were 12 baskets left over. 5,000 men, plus women, plus children. Two fish. Five loaves of bread. And a loaf of bread was probably more like a dinner roll, not like a big loaf. That's what they had. But they had enough faith to assemble... They had enough faith to listen. He had enough compassion to share. He had an ability to give his men enough extra to get through to the end before they rested, to get done what was needed to take care of these scattered sheep without a shepherd, to love and give them the love of God. And he gave them until they were filled and there were still leftovers. God's power is always more than we need God always gives more grace than I need I don't always access or accept everything that God gives me but God always gives me more than enough pastor I need I don't I just am not feeling the comfort from the Lord and the loss of a loved one I promise you if you'll get in the word and you'll get with him That he has made available to you more comfort than you need. If you'll embrace it. If you're saying, Pastor, I just don't have quite enough faith to step out and take this next step in my Christian life. More faith is available to you than what you need. Because God never does it partway. He always goes the extra mile. He gives us what we need. And then some. In love and in power and in grace. Will we accept it? See, I can sit at home. I can sit on the hill. I can let the bread and the fish pass by. I can take in and awe everything it's doing and not be a part of it. Or I can say, Jesus, I want all of you. Here's all of me. What will we do this morning? Will we sit back and withdraw because we're a little tired? Will we sit back and withdraw because we're grieving, or would we, as we rest, as we grieve, replenish, re-engage, recharge, and let the love of God flow through us? I believe. That God can do great things in our lives and in our church at any point, at any time, no matter what we're going through, whether it's a busy season, whether it's a calm season, whether it's turmoil, or whether it's whether it's uh, whether it's smooth seas, whether it's uh, whether it's a time where we're uh, where we're struggling, or whether we're we're God's blessing is just being outpoured and overflowing. Wherever we are, whatever we're doing, God can work and bless and be glorified. If we'll sit down on the hill. And we'll let him tell us what we don't know. And let let him show us what we can't see. Stop trying to figure everything out. And just let God be God. And be amazed at what God will do.